0: This is the Empowered Athlete Podcast, episode 43. In the movie, Any Given Sunday, Al Pacino describes the difference in life or sport as a game of inches. One half step too soon or too slow can make all the difference. And for our guest today, Alex Kopach, in his sport, one one one-hundredth of a second is the difference between success and failure. We have Alex's incredible story and his path to Olympic glory, Olympic gold in Pyeongchang today on the Empowered Athlete Podcast. We dig deep with Alex. This is a long form interview and we've broken it up into two parts. We are proud to present to you today, Alex Kopach in part one of his Olympic journey.
1: Welcome
2: to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, created to support athletes in their pursuit of excellence and inspire others toward their best lives. Hosted by Kari Schneider, coach to top performers in sport and life, and Paul Durden, former national and professional volleyball player.
0: All right everyone, welcome to the Empowered Athlete podcast and we are thrilled to have Alex Kopach across the table from us. Alex, welcome to our humble abode. Thanks so much. Good to have a fellow Londoner on the show.
3: Absolutely. Yes, Be a beautiful meet you location well. too to boot thank you yeah
0: and and
2: fun to be in person cuz we don't often get to be in person it's often recorded so we're always listening for the details and and to actually see and communicate visually is a Absolutely. nice thing too. Absolutely, this is better
0: than the closet. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, 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 honestly, the like, the audience
2: knows <laughs> yeah. that we. One of us is usually in the bedroom, the other right. one is in the closet, so yeah. you get this nice buffered sound right, effect. Right, 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 right. And and then we're on on the phone with somebody across oh, across I the world. Oh, I got a closet joke, but I'll, I'll yeah. stay. <laughs> Don't do it. <that. laughs> <laughs> you can actually you can say any f bombs you want. No, no, we're all good. Yeah,
0: so tell us uh, your. Grew up here in London mm-hmm. and went to Mother Teresa. But and then
2: just for the the audience here though, if, if they haven't heard of you, which I don't know how they haven't, but you know, you, you just came away with a gold medal.
0: Yeah,
2: that's it's right. Kind of
1: amazing.
3: <laughs> yeah, it blows me away. Um just some fun stats on that. Five hundred eighty six grams is the weight of this metal. Um we can there's see it six grams right of gold plated and five hundred eighty grams of silver underneath. And in the history of Canadian sports, summer and winter Olympics, there's only 136 that have been won to date. And uh, I was really blown away by that because, um, of course, granted, uh, teams are are lumped as one medal. Um, But essentially, in a 100-year period, only 136 uh, medals have been handed out, and now some individuals have doubled up, tripled up. So that even brings down the gold medalist count to much fewer than 136, which is pretty wild
2: feels pretty special absolutely yeah absolutely yeah and I didn't mean I cut you off sorry hon but you were gonna say about his roots
0: yeah we want to kind of find out the path to the medal that's now in front of us so maybe take us back to your early sporting career wherever you want to for sure well I
3: think it's kind of fun to even go back to to even childhood Um, we watched the Olympics kind of pro like anyone did Um, especially throughout the 90s there was a ton of support and uh, Guys like Donovan Bailey were just, you know, big on the scene. And, and that was a big thing. And and I was a big comic book nerd. And um, so Superman was a big idol. Batman as well. But Superman specifically. Fast, strong, flies like it's got it all. Mine Intelligence. Yeah, we're, we're laughing, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. A few the healing <laughs> factor is sweet, right? I mean, definitely. There's a couple that I would, I would totally echo. But the biggest influencer was that one. And um, then you start to think, like, is how, how possible is it to become... You know super strong or super fast and as a kid i'd be randomly trying to you know lift things that i thought would be signs <laughs> that i was strong enough right yeah. i'd be trying to do work with my dad and trying to lift as much as he was lifting for like i don't know a bucket or yeah, whatever yeah. kind of construction yeah. stuff around the, the house and yeah and those i'd jump off like my shed just to like yeah. to get over the fear of yeah, climbing up and the jumping down <laughs> premieres compounded him. over and over <laughs> yes. again Um, But soccer was a big influence uh, with the European household, uh, Polish, first generation, and um, uh, dad showed me the ropes for soccer, which was fantastic. Um, But in general, there was never a ton of resources for really getting in depth with any type of sport education uh, or even um, higher level education in, in an academic setting. So. A lot of things I did ended up being on my own, just tinkering around. Even even like soccer in the backyard, you get a ball, you're trying to juggle on your own. No one really tells you exactly how to do it, but you kind of you know you've seen enough things and you're trying get to try to make it happen. Yeah, working on shots and stuff like that on the, on the bricks on the side of the wall.
0: You have siblings. Uh, younger
3: sister. You're yeah, okay. three years difference between us. Um, Is she athletic too. Uh, she was uh, she was a better swimmer. That was kind of what she really took to. Um, but she was the artist out of the two of us. Like like significantly more artistic than I was. Um, and then kind of swimming was the next thing in wintertime. So I had a very interesting aerobic, uh, base growing up. And so anytime there was uh, anything involved like scouts, um, which, uh, the Polish scouting community is pretty strong in London or in, even in Southwestern Ontario, it's a lot of military based stuff, but they really focus on a lot of the woodscraft uh, business. So we did lots of hikes. And by the time I was, I want to say it must've been 12, I went on this, uh, portage trip, like a, 40 kilometer portage trip with uh, with a bunch of uh, older guys. One of them was a paramedic. My dad was there, and, uh, and two other older older uh, scouts. And that was cool because I had a chance to really push myself and keep up with them because everyone had the same weighted packs.
1: Yeah. And yeah, so being yeah.
3: being you know smaller, trying to keep up how, with the bigger stronger people. I want to say it was around 12 years old. Yeah. Oh. Um, definitely, uh, must and, and how old part.
1: were most of the people there?
3: Uh, phew, between 18 and in you know 40s. Oh, it's a big right?
1: prove yourself kind yeah, of yeah, for sure. Yeah,
3: um, and I guess just yeah, in grade eight, so bad, yeah, about 12, like 11, 12, let's say. But either way, um. The packs must have been like between 60 and 80 pounds. We had all our food. We had the, you know, the the camping gear, and, and we were canoeing. So I was paired up with my dad. Probably not the best idea in hindsight because we started fighting uh, <laughs> about like yeah. paddle on the left. No, I'm on the left. Are you on the right? You know. <laughs> but uh, I just had a, a series of moments through endurance uh, feats. I'll call it to work on the mental side of suffering through training. I mean, that's really a big part. When you're going Swimming long distances, will do that too. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And swimming's kind of a funny feeling. And I don't know if a lot of people would echo this, but you have this kind of this sensation of drowning sometimes, especially when you're racing. You might miss a breath. For, mm-hmm. Let's say, right, a mouthful of water, and all of a sudden you've missed your breath, and by a couple of strokes, whatever your rhythm is, within a couple of strokes, you're starting to actually struggle for for oxygen, and you have to keep your cool and just simply breathe on the next one and try to get back into your rhythm. But as you skip these little moments. Your face is in worse. the water and you're yeah. starting to kind of fight with it. But, um, but that even comes with practice. You start to even get over that. You can hold your breath for longer and, and things like this. But uh, um, I think that was the first kind of real mental toughness challenges that I had and then I knew that I could physically work harder or outwork A lot of people, because I keep up with my dad in in a construction site capacity. He was a master plumber. I could keep up with the older guys, scouts for hikes through the woods, carrying uh, all sorts of things. Um, I could play soccer at various levels. So your
2: confidence Um, as a
1: superhero. It
3: started. It started to build. (laughs) Yeah, but but it really started to reinforce itself the older I got. So leaving grade school, going into high school, I was significantly bigger. Of course, you know you have your growth spurts and stuff, Um, but I was even big for my family. And it was kind of fun to try to even figure out like where did I get my size from? And the strength was uh, was actually my dad's been strong since forever, but he always talked about his uh, his dad, uh, and his dad was a cavalry sergeant back in the, in the Second World War. So with the opening, you know, tanks versus horses, kind of people laughed about stuff like that, but he was there. He got shot in the leg, and after the war, they were uh, they lived on a farm, and at this point, communism settled in, so uh, the farm life was tough. And you didn't really have options to not have healthy animals. And I remember my dad talking about a situation where his horse, um, let's say, rolled its leg. There was a reason why it couldn't walk. But Lame. it was one of the front two legs. Yeah. And so his dad gets under the front two legs and walks the horse back to the barn. That's
1: <laughs> crazy. And
3: <laughs> even if, let's even say 20% of that is true. Say yeah, the horse yeah. is smaller. It's, say the whatever. The story's a That's quite a feat. You know? Yeah. So I had this like oh my gosh, like, could I possibly even match a feat like that? You know, because you try to, a kid's yeah. match, you know, picturing a horse in your head to trying to carry this weight on your shoulders. This is, this is incredible. The, so, what's, what's
2: the, ox what's the, yeah. Yeah, it's the guy the, who carries yeah, the baby bull up yeah. the mountain. It's, right? like a, it it's like the Polish version <laughs> yeah, of that yeah. for your exactly, family. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah.
3: So uh, I definitely had a lot of real life heroic examples that I tried to live up to. Um, and especially the military influence, uh, I was so involved with history, and it's not like I lingered on World War II history. But when you have so many people that are directly involved and, 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 and wounded stories, and killed and, yeah. and whatever, um, I kind of really felt like I had to prove something to those people. And so part to, of that proof be, was like
2: to be worthy based on what they went through.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, tr- to try and match the sacrifice, to try and 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 get a get a taste of the suffering, even mm. you know.
2: They went through so much and Absolutely. you have such almost privilege mm-hmm. growing up where you've gone, uh, grown up and uh, having what's available to you that they didn't have. Absolutely. And then it, it really drove you to, you know,
3: Almost be, to the be military. More. Be more. Yeah. <laughs> I had a cousin in the Marines military, and everyone yeah. knew that Marines are the hardest guys out there. And yeah. so I'm just like, My gosh, you know, I, I
1: guess I, I met have him to in Chicago
3: <laughs> and he laughed when he saw me the first time we got to chat and all this. I had all these questions about the army stuff. I knew all these little details and their number designations and stuff. And he looked at me and he's just like, You don't want to go shoot people. You yeah. just want the adventure. Yeah, yeah, you want yeah. to jump out of helicopters. Yeah. You want to be deep in the jungle, and I'm like,
0: I guess, you, yeah. Like, <laughs> do, you, do you
2: think him saying that influenced you to not because, potentially? Because I mean, there's that that you know. Um, that facade of what the military can be because it seems so amazing, these tough guys doing all these things. But when, he, when he verbalizes it, do <laughs> yeah. you verbalize that you do want to shoot people because yeah. this is ultimately what this is about. This Absolutely. is the only reason that we're getting this fit and this yeah. tough and this aware. Yeah. And
3: It's uh, it's hard to say. For me it was definitely like um, a, a maturity thing even just as I was getting older I just started kind of being more disenfranchised with the idea and I don't even remember what exactly was the the, the factor that kind of set it off because I mean everyone can remember back to like 9-11 um, even that was a situation where we were just like i wanted to join the masses and go hunt the terrorists down you know but again as a kid I mean considering yeah. when that was yeah. you just have this this, <laughs> this 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 fervor this fanatical national Passion, pride yeah, yeah. but it's not founded on anything really yeah. Yeah. it's there because you should because like i said being the historical buff and all that because that's what Warriors of the Past did. They defended their country, and that was like the thing to do. Die a hero, kind of. So you grew
2: up hearing
1: about that, yeah,
3: yeah, 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 yeah. So I switched gears, and the sport became my thing. Football is where I kind of got to exercise that warrior mentality. And uh, we had an incredible group of guys from 2004 to 2008. A lot of them moved on, at the very least university level, at the most CFL. Um, and we just had a just a freaky group of guys that were... Passionate about training at Mother Teresa. Yeah, yeah. and it was incredible because we had a good set of coaches, and everyone just bought in so savagely. Um, that really pushed me to try and uh, outperform the older guys. So my goal is always trying to, like, I'm trying to train so that I can beat these great 12 guys. And Is so that the when you're
2: working out more? Or that's right,
3: that's out? right. So first time in the gym, now I have a number to compare against. This guy's bench pressing X weight at this many reps. Mm-hmm. That's my target, you know, and I would do okay. anything I could to try and keep up. And there was uh, there were a couple of defining moments, I'd say, gym-wise, where I earned a lot of the older guys' respect when they saw, like, wow, this guy's actually a heck of a lot stronger than any was uh, expected. Um, but the biggest thing that kind of hurt me at that younger age was I was training hard but not worried about the process as opposed to the end goal more weight therefore i'm stronger how it went up was irrelevant it went up you all saw it done it's it's the age yeah like it's i had it's no concept every exactly. high school boy goes exactly. through exactly <laughs> because that is what you live and die by what yeah. yeah. yep. you bench press what yeah. you squat. Yeah. exactly yeah. let's see what those shoulders look like after <laughs> yeah. that couple of years absolutely <laughs> yeah. you know i mean plus yeah. the gameplay you definitely yeah. sh- a lot of kids yeah. get shredded pretty young yeah. which is too too bad yeah um, i
2: can't move properly and yeah yeah
3: Knees are going, concussions, et cetera, And, and et cetera. sometimes
2: there's a decent coach at, or, or teacher at school yep. that can kind of take a few guys and get them into the, a little routine or group and mm-hmm. teach them a few things. But oftentimes the mentality, and I have a, a number of young athletes that I've seen for quite quite some time, but sometimes their mentality is so more right now that they don't get the impact of, of doing it wrong of and you're course like, please please don't do that Of course.
3: <laughs> I I mean again, just the way you said that I mean clearly that, that sounds to me up to a T especially at that age. I kind of saw so I was very passionate about music and through practicing for different instruments and stuff. I, I knew that for example, if I had a song that's four pages, Every time you pick up your instrument, you have that opportunity to make less mistakes and less mistakes and less mistakes. And it comes a point where the more mistakes you make, the more they may or may not be ingrained. And every rep to me in the gym was critical to the point where if I didn't get that rep, I failed the workout. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then it was more of a self-hatred as opposed to worrying about embarrassing myself in front of everyone else. I'd be like, I embarrassed myself in front of everyone else. This is
2: mm-hmm. the, this is what what I call the achievers curse. Yeah. So every achiever goes through this. Highly self analytical, yep. and, and you know, it's not it's not done the way I want it. Then it's a fail. It doesn't matter how how much was accomplished. Agreed. It's still a fail. Agreed, <laughs> you know? agreed, and, so. you,
3: and that's the, and that. You're right, and that's that becomes the sickness. Yeah, you don't see yeah. the success. Yeah, and actually, it'd be great to touch back on this after we get to the later part of the story, but. Um, that is that is that was a big problem that I never knew was a problem until later.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but because football, it serves you. yeah, absolutely, it, it, serves it does, you at that and age. it shows you clearly. Look, because you're the way you are, you are successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I got to keep being like exactly. this because I'm getting success. I'm and improving. I became more robotic. Yeah. I became, you know, very hard on myself to not show emotions <laughs> and things like this because you know football's a tough sport and whatever. Um, but but so throughout high school, um, I guess grade nine, coming off of lots of soccer and stuff and transitioning. Um, I guess I should also say throughout grade school, I did uh, track and field as like a, like a startup at the grade school. We had a little, you know, like um, uh, a summer version where some people got to test out, oh, here's what a kind of 60 meter is. We didn't run 60 meters, but we got to try shot put. Um, I was on the basketball team. I did volleyball, uh, gymnastics throughout, and that was always, uh, I think, really important in hindsight for just the general coordination. I, um, I hate to, yeah. so I'm
2: going to interject here just, just to get both of your opinions sure, on this sure. because both of you have, s- have been so heavily involved in high school sports. Yeah. How do you feel about high school sports potentially not
0: being uh, in
2: school?
3: Is that actually potentially a thing? Yeah, since Wow. We, well, that'd be devastating.
0: There's talk right now that next year there won't be high school sports.
3: I think that's a big which mistake. Which
0: happened the year after I left high school. Right won't say when that you, was, yeah. but that was <laughs> around the time you yeah. we were born. Best seven years <laughs> of your life or what? I'm yeah. <laughs> <But>, uh, <laughs> A couple. Victory laps. Yeah. Victory lap or no. Okay. Victoria, no. no they, uh, yeah, they're talking about doing it again. Mm-hmm. It's, for me, it's terrifying to imagine all these kids out there Yeah. already with decreasing numbers in sport. Totally. More, and more kids just mm-hmm. attached to screens. Yeah. yeah. To take that yeah. away. I was talking with a co-worker about it, and we both came to the conclusion that we had no idea how it would have turned out without it. Mm-hmm. You know with all the energy mm-hmm. we have and not being yeah. able to focus that Absolutely. on something like remotely right. positive
2: especially males they need that yeah. physical outlet a lot of a it's lot of guys outlet. do they need that yeah. physical outlet sure. otherwise and it's going to be making well, problems Well you guys have dogs somehow. what happens if they're not exercised oh, totally. yeah. then they're bad they great. misbehave yeah. we
3: have
2: <laughs> teenagers we have teenagers and dogs what are you talking about <laughs> we know what happens <laughs>
3: You just saw the youngest one. She's tired. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's, that would be a, a big mistake. And I think the biggest reason is, yes, you can force kids to be more academically focused and get them even more ready for university, et cetera, et cetera. But not everyone wants to do that. Yeah. And if you don't have something that, that you actually look forward to in any given day, and I truly believe this would just drive everyone's mental health even deeper into a darker uh, zone with, with at the a the younger age. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. It, different, because
0: different
2: addictions instead of a positive yeah. social addiction that does totally good for their body and their physicality. And yeah,
3: and furthermore, mind and body. high school sports are great because a lot of people who can't afford it, can do them exactly at high school.
2: And for, for any of them, doesn't matter whether they can afford it or not, they're going to find something else to do. Sure, sure. Not necessarily going to be the thing
1: that's absolutely, yeah. I mean, of yeah. course,
3: we could probably all agree that the families that are more well off, even if they didn't have sports in high school, could probably still get their kids doing sports outside of school. Yeah, for sure. But that's such yeah. a big barrier. I mean, that's not yeah. not yeah. everyone is capable. And as you, and you're yeah. right, then other vices may take those 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 yeah. places. So, yeah, I think that'd be very sad if it actually became a reality.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah. But going back to my high school's post Olympics, um, there's just less interest in
1: going all in. Yeah.
3: To the sports i mean so, i would love to think that i was part of the best football team in our high school that ever existed but quite literally it seems to be the fact be the truth yeah. yeah some of the cool. coaches said they hadn't yeah. seen a group of guys that invested or motivated but, but in years they're
2: trying to find the numbers now sure. they're trying to find the the people who will will perform that, Absolutely. It was the same with my my 18 year old daughter's competitive they're the highest level competition for soccer but they can't get these athletes committed right They're not and you know, some of them are coming back to play with this team from a university team, so they're required to keep playing in the off season from their university sport. Yep. And yet the the rest of the team just is showing up half time, not necessarily and it's not really practicing. I couldn't have imagined that. Like it's the commitment level is just another another level. And and in saying that we sound like we're you know, oh, they're just not as committed as we were. You know, like it's always... The stage isn't
3: set. That's the problem. Yeah. You know, the stage isn't set appropriately. They're not getting the right motivation. And who knows where it's coming from? But maybe it's as simple as saying, there's just way more distraction. And I think something that's really intimidating, I mean, as an athlete now, I mean, let's look at it for what it is. Instagram kind of really became a bigger beast in the last, what, 10, 15 years? Oh,
0: yes, Probably like even less than 10 even, right? Because when I was first
3: starting in uh, bobsled, I had a friend of mine who had already had an account and I thought the whole thing was dumb because I'm like, why would I want to put pictures of myself for anyone to just look at? Mm -hmm. But then you then realize I can use it as a tool to market myself, et cetera, et cetera. Then you then look at you were instantly able to compare yourself to anyone on the planet just like that. And you already have a reason that you're not good enough.
1: Mm -hmm. And
3: in many ways, when someone doesn't have the confidence to just do something anyways, if you're doing a sport like soccer and you're following soccer players, you may see other soccer players at your age that are already outclassing you and then you think to yourself, well, I'll never be that good. Absolutely. And maybe then you shut it down. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it could definitely be a, be a, be a piece and all that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's all kinds of pitfalls that way.
0: Yeah. That's almost a whole other show that we should do on, you know, talking the social to media. People. and what, sure. what it but does, digging into the that influence because it's apparent in so many different ways. That oh, yeah. My experience coaching teenagers volleyball i was shocked at how there wasn't a component of aggressiveness or compete mm-hmm. from the players mm-hmm. in drills which were designed to be competitive where right. there's a winner and a loser yeah there was such a blasé general yeah we're all okay mm-hmm. kind of attitude yeah you know Makes talking other coaches crazy. you're like yeah. do you not want to win do you not want to beat the guys on the other side of the net and, yeah you know i don't i didn't believe they did we uh, would
2: see, yes, because that's the
0: right answer. Sure, exactly. But exactly. there's a difference. But the, but the actions if you see and the, the, focus, the ones who... Yeah. You know, didn't yeah. speak to that, but uh, yeah. Yeah, we can go off on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. But, okay, But so it's so been us back through, to your from your story, high school. Right, and yeah. On yeah. On to university. And, so basically, and the by the time you know, I ended up sports. with high
3: school, we, we win city championships in football and do the opposite thing. Generally, anyone that won city champs in London ended up winning the Ontario um, championship anyhow. So it ended up on a high note, and my goal was always school. And so especially from uh, you know my, my parents' um, immigrant perspectives, uh, specifically from my dad, it's it's you have to get something that you can't have taken away from you, i.e. education. And he doesn't want me to work with my hands. He would be great if I could take over his business, but he just would wish me to have a better life. So, what is his business? Uh, as a plumber, yeah, yes. master plumber. And um, the... The big thing that I kind of had adopted from a very young age is that one day I'll be a mechanical engineer. Um, why that specifically? I don't know. I definitely like playing with like uh, mechanisms and and connects uh, specifically because it was a very kinetic thing as mm-hmm. opposed to Lego, which I always found was static, obviously not anymore. but um, everything I did in high school was school first, sports second and that drove some coaches crazy, but I didn't see the sense in trying to become a football player when. And this wraps into the the whole Olympic idea, if I hadn't been doing it as long as these other athletes have. Some of them were doing the summer football camps, yeah, Falcons, yeah,
1: yeah. you Spring know, camps, you name this, it. Yeah. They'd been
3: already doing, say, track since they were in grade school yeah. and they were whooping us even back then. Yeah. And I was just kind of, I mean, I, when I competed, I competed savagely, but it was always with this big gap of... Yeah. Um, technique and that was the biggest thing so uh, from a young age i just resigned to the fact that i won't be a professional athlete and and i got some offers to play at certain universities western waterloo queens um but then i was intimidated by this practice uh, requirements even in high school we had class ended uh, i can't remember what was normal was it three o'clock around three fifteen, yeah. and then from three fifteen 15 to about six we had practice football practice and then weight training and then you get home and then whatever, you have your homework time. Find
2: some energy to
1: study. We'd have
3: some mornings we'd have to be at on campus, uh, say, you know, seven in the morning to do like a running workout. And then you'd have your classes... Uh, and then we'd have, like, film at the end of the week after our games or the day after the games on a Saturday, and that'd be another three-hour session. And I was just trying to imagine having a university workload in engineering. Again, anyone that had, let's say, was, was a year older. first-year engineering Right, yeah. and everyone was talking about how insane it is and yeah. trying to juggle that in football and knowing that it would be even more high stakes at a university level. I was just like, I don't think that's the right decision for me. Mm-hmm. Again, looking back, I probably could have done it. I literally mm-hmm. probably could have done it. I just didn't think I could. You don't
0: know what you don't know. Though. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
3: Exactly. So. Well, that's, so, that's
0: where you need someone who's done it. Totally. You to need to talk to To you, give you the confidence. To the feedback. Absolutely. Of, hey, it's possible. Here's what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. It may mm-hmm. not be easy. Yep. But. Totally. If they're, you're going in blind you're just saying totally. God, that looks like too much if totally. they're
2: recruiting well they're matching you with a, a third or fourth year player who's in engineering that's that's For sure. what they're doing if they're recruiting well
3: and, and, and I'm certain they would have done it I just didn't allow myself to go any to further yeah. right because yeah. I had resigned myself to the fact ended on a high note we did a lot technically that most high school kids would have never done focus on school, get a job, et cetera. And so going into the first
1: couple Did, years, sorry, is, yeah. is that
2: your, do you think that, that thought process, do you think that's, uh, almost ingrained or programmed into by your upbringing, your parents?
3: Um, I, in, in many ways, I mean, I think I would have to answer yes. Um, there's a lot of practicality with trying to think things through and always the future is the end goal. And so yeah. Why risk the future for something that may or may not work now and especially when you look at the likelihood of something turning out versus an injury versus yeah. Do you want to ruin something as precious as your degree that sets you up for the job by playing a game?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So for sure there was definitely not like a ton of encouragement like once I was committed to um, a, a hobby whether that was music lessons or you know swimming or anything like that My parents supported me 100 percent. My mom definitely drove me to everything she could Um but it was always like un- the understanding was if this ever kind of got in the way of your schooling, the yes. decision was clear: you focus on your schooling.
0: That, that's interesting because my dad was the associate dean of engineering at Western right before he passed. Yeah, and was an absolute genius. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll brag for a second, but he had his doctorate from Oxford. Sure. Yeah. When he was twenty-three. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. And we go a baseball game, and someone would hit the ball. He'd time it and tell me how high the ball went. Right. 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 Yeah. And he, his advice, well, not advice, but when I was selected to the national team when I was 18 and mm. looking at skipping school. Yep. was, well, school will always be there. This won't. Yep. So it was almost the absolute opposite coming from the academic parent. Again, absolutely. Who absolutely believed in schooling. Absolutely. But he thought, you know, take this chance of a lifetime. And I'm sure he but would it think takes this a isn't going to last 17 or 18 no, years. No, no. But it takes a
3: person <laughs> to have gone that far. And so, like, my parents hadn't had that level of education. Like, not not exactly. Right. Like, my mom was a nurse, but she went through Beal. And then had uh, maybe one or two. But it was already, like, the program was set up so that you just sure. carried right. on, right? Right. Whereas my dad never had the chance to do secondary or even even uh, uh formal education like at a university. So it's where the values
2: are. You know?
3: Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So so are. now I could tell my kids. It, so I didn't get the brain. Okay.
1: whatever. No.
3: But 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 now with you know, when I have kids, I'll have that perspective. Well I'll yeah. see the opportunity yeah. for what it is. If, yeah. if, if if your child is gifted, it, they'll be gifted enough. Yeah, like yeah. they will right. find a way back in, but, right? But here's the thing yeah.
2: and I, he's heard me say this many a time. You you can't teach desire. And there's it's this thing, there's this, there's this thing that some young athletes have and some don't mm-hmm. and some are so talented and you're just, you know, scratching your head going, please. But they, if they don't have that drive and that mm-hmm. just little mm-hmm. spark, then yeah. they, they just don't go, yeah. you know, hard work and desire will trump the talent yeah. because then they will develop the talent.
3: And it's hard to say where i would have been had i been even more talented mm-hmm. because i was just kind of not naturally talented enough against my high school peers but maybe i was but i just didn't recognize it or that i always hours exactly right. dance, i right? i trained harder i put in more hours i asked more questions i did the extra laps whatever it took i was going to go the extra mile to beat those guys around me where the other people would maybe call it early Go home, sleep early, Mm -hmm. play video games. And I was obsessive on how to catch up, how to get ahead, how to move forward. Because my competition started being at one time, people in my grade, the people older than me, the people much older than me, the people that are now in university, and then on and on and on. But I definitely thought that sport was a closed door. Mm. So once I left high school, that was it. I still went to the gym. I lifted like crazy because I kept doing like football type workouts. I just focused on school. I joined teams, like the Formula SAE engineering team.
2: How did, tra- how did how you shopper? Shopper? yeah. That shopper. happened,
3: a very funny funny little story there. So by the time I got into second-slash-third year, there was this program that the Mechanical Engineering Department uh, set up with Fanshawe. They called it the Practical Elements of Mechanical Engineering. So PEM for short, and they were taking applicants, generally third years is the priority. Um, myself and two others' second years were accepted. And um, that year, because now we were mixed with, uh, with our upper year uh, classmates, we're at Fanshawe learning all the different uh, practical elements, literally, um, welding, machining, um, any type of tool and die, drawings, uh, metallurgy. and. There was one classmate that was working out a specific gym where Jason Tunks he owned it with uh, with with Leah Coleman at the time, there we mm-hmm. go. and uh, Jason was <laughs> you, shocked how strong a great I was. Thrower, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was yeah. exactly what ended up happening. I uh, we were just messing around doing For a deadlift workouts.
0: Jason Tunks is also from London, Olympian. And he's a mountain this, of a man. Yeah, he's yeah. about six eight, six nine. Yeah. Uh, we went huge. to high school together. He was at Banting and I was at oakridge so I've known yeah. Jason forever, but yeah, right. he's an absolute beast. Yeah. Five yeah. hundred
3: sixty pound bench in his prime, like absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah.
3: So we're we're messing around with uh with deadlifts and stuff and and I end up deadlifting around six hundred and fifty pounds. And uh this would have been so me being second year at university. Um my friend sends this video to Jason and Jason's like, What does this guy do? And you know, nothing. What do you mean nothing? Are you in a football team? No, no, no. I just I'm just an engineering. I just I just study. And he's like, I think you should do track. You're gonna be a shot putter, and you're gonna do glide technique and that's what you're gonna do, and I'll train you. And that was my first kind of wake up call with I knew I was strong because training at the university gym, you just kind of you know, you just compare yourself to the guys immediately around you and you just kind of know that you you've got what it takes. But to have someone like that that you can clearly see is significantly stronger than you, because all those records were on the board. With anyone else in the gym that, you know, was was, was getting closer to any of them. Um, it now became a reality that maybe if I get as strong as he is with all his numbers based on his age when he was my age,
1: yeah,
3: maybe I can compete at an international level. Maybe make the national team for shot put, for example, in track and field.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So that's when my, my gear started to shift and I tried out for the university track team and made it and that first year you
2: you were trying out as a thrower as a thrower but um but how did you get the technical experience to even try out did tunks help you out with that yeah
3: he helped me with that and um primarily it was john allen Mm -hmm. and uh because jason trained with john and 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 that was in jason's opinion the best best coach to, to help with the technique um, and, and John was very accommodating with helping me or allowing me to train with his group, even some of the high school guys, because he'd be at uh, Banting
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, yeah, behind the aquatic right. center, right? That's yeah, Banting. Yeah. Um, and I'd just be there, and he'd just be, "Okay, we're gonna start with this. Now we're gonna do that." And so I'd had like this general build up, but by the time I tried out for the university team, I'd gotten so strong in that first year. I put on like 40 pounds,
1: mm-hmm.
3: so I'm already like 265, almost 270. And I was easily one of the strongest guys. And so walking onto the team, um, I could throw a distance to qualify to be on the team. But with regards to nationally, going to these meets and such, you start to see that there's a huge gap between throwing 15 meters and a guy throwing 18 meters. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much you grunt or want it or slap or whatever, it doesn't matter. If that technique's not there, it's not there. And the most frustrating thing was, um, enter in my poor technique even with lifting because I was so hell-bent on trying to reach Jason's numbers that I'd be lifting relatively dangerously and not being aware of what that meant. And like what it was doing, doing to your technique. The Olympic and, lifts yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and other things. Um, so I probably could have outlifted the majority of the athletes I competed against, but they would outthrow me almost easily. Was that, that was very a, was frustrating. That a,
2: when, you, when you made that connection, did yeah. you shift anything? Or was that something that... Because in, in a way, that mentality mm-hmm. was still one that you carried from high school totally because it's something that served you it yep. felt good to beat out so and so but then it doesn't feel so good to get beat out on the field
3: especially no matter what you try yeah yeah, yeah. i started to you uh can't exactly
2: walk up to your competitor totally. and go hey you know you out me but i can outlift you yeah <laughs> that yeah, means yeah. Nothing. it means nothing <laughs> it means
3: nothing so nationally that first year at cis i came 12th um and then the, by the second year i was fifth but I had this timeline in my head that I only had these two years, right? So when I was doing that first year of track, I already had, you know, I was going into my third year of university. I was uh, overloading my course loads. I had started a concurrent degree in physics. Um, and by the way, they were pushing that on the engineers back then, like that in business, that in medicine, that in law. You survive in, just
2: as an engineer or it's, what? That's, honestly, <laughs> like... that is exactly
3: the way it was painted. Yeah. You know, with applications, posts, looking for jobs and stuff like that. So this was the decision that was made and I um, and I get in my head I'm like I only have two years of university I need to if I want to be one of the best maybe even get noticed nationally I need to start winning these meets mm-hmm. um, uh, but it was futile because again I didn't have the right approach to it I was just I wasn't sleeping enough that's another bad habit you pick up I work too hard too much yeah. mm-hmm. I chose to finish every homework question as opposed to calling it at night and just going to sleep, getting and making your, sure I got eight, eight hours. Yeah. So who knows what kind of damage I caused myself in the long run? To pull you
0: back oh my God! You yeah, a, oh, oh, oh.
3: absolutely. Yeah. You
2: needed a coach that was monitoring a number of yeah, things, versus yeah. just yeah.
3: or even like a, let's say a, a, a department that had the understanding that you're doing both to give you some leeway. Mm-hmm. But again, what do you want to be? Do you want to be an average athlete and an average engineer, or do you want to be a good engineer and a good you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you have yeah. to pick, and that's yeah. something that I thought no. I am the one that will find a way to do both excellent yeah, yeah.
0: of course. Yeah. Because and, you're the achiever and yeah, you can do better and yeah. those those
2: don't apply to yeah. me. <laughs> but
3: you guys you guys said it very well. I was willing to burn myself into the ground. Yeah. That's I would have gone all the way. Yeah. yeah. Um so so through those those track days, um, for fun, I would mess around and run with the sprinters. And I'd found something very incredible about training as a thrower that I was an all around freaky athlete. Now, I probably always was to some, some amount, but the amount of jumps that we were doing, the amount of uh, Tabata run things on the treadmill, the foot drills. the I was very, very nimble, and I could still run. like I could still go for runs if I should so choose for 20, 30 minutes at a decent clip, and I wouldn't be that winded.
1: Because yeah.
3: everyone would think of you know, throwers are these big overweight guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was the most in the shape most, out yeah. of all of them. Yeah. And I would even beat the sprinters in training for just for practice or doing like a couple more sets. i jump in for the last three and I would just try to see how many of them I could beat.
2: Yeah. Even, even D-line in football or things like that it's Yeah, more from, you know, a, a swimming perspective or sure, what sure. the foundation gave you back then.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the but gymnastics. it wasn't... Yep. I mean, I mean, all of it, all yeah, of it, right? Yeah, I mean, like the, it. The, the soccer, gymnastics, playing basketball. volleyball, basketball. Okay. I think that's really the secret to, to making uh, an excellent athlete. Um, it's not the hyper specialization because well, hyper specialization is, we, is a, such a risk you wish, have to like you it, you to really love
0: it we have this conversation so many we, times we wish, it comes yeah. up. every athlete yeah. that we interview it's a they were None of them. multi-sport athletes we haven't interviewed a specialized athlete yet yeah.
2: that, that was specialized at a young age yeah. yes. You know yeah. Yeah. that was. I mean obviously they were specialized because yeah. they became very proficient in one thing but mm. they were, as a kid they were all over the place with sure, all sorts of sure. sports and yeah. eventually had to choose the one that really pulled at their heart or the one that you know there was you know whatever the circumstance was totally totally but it they had all sorts of motor pattern Mm -hmm. training as kids experiencing all sorts of things and we have being parents of kids from 8 to 19 Mm -hmm. we don't see that as much with kids now as it was maybe as you were a kid or for us like there's not as many out there that are yep. doing a whole bunch of different sports yep it's seasons one, are getting
0: longer yeah mm-hmm. and then yeah there's, you mentioned you know kids demands, summer programs for sure. the same sport sure it or the just becomes the a year-round kind of absolutely day. demands on the parents absolutely. for
2: so much travel that the parents aren't inclined to say yeah do another sport because nope. the one takes up so much yeah. energy or time or but enter
3: in the sweet convenience of high school sports
2: bingo <laughs> and right. that's why it's it's yeah. on you, you know on yeah. people's radar because yeah. season after season yeah. they're exposed to a whole bunch of different things totally, so. totally. yeah
0: yeah so yeah. tell us about how you i'm air quoting here chose yeah. your
3: yeah so it uh, for sure Next it chose sport. chose me because um with with that uh, that vein of them uh of me just kind of playing with the sprinters, um, we had a purple and white meet every year, just one of these traditional things where veterans split the, uh, all the athletes up, purple shirt, white shirt, and then you compete and like the whole, you know each team tries to beat the other uh, cumulatively. Um, and then after the throws event, um, of course, I signed myself up for for the sprint, and we just had the sixty meter um, indoor. Um, I bought myself like a really cheap basic pair of spikes that. Looking back, weren't even meant for short distance sprints. They mm. were like uh, multi-eventer spikes, yeah, yeah. right? So I had this. this, this they were soft, <laughs> soft yeah. shoes. Um, but it beat using just my running shoes. So I, I uh, ended up coming uh, eighth. So I made it to the final heat. Is uh, is how well it ended up going, and it shocked everyone. In my fastest time, uh, seven point two four seconds, when I was about two hundred eighty pounds,
2: hmm.
3: and that's when a lot of people were like, "Wow." We already know how strong this kid is. We didn't know he was that fast.
2: Yeah, You just weren't put into the measure, the environment of no. getting measured, the no. measurement.
3: And so that immediately opened up the discussion for you know um, Marshall being like, I think this guy needs to be playing fullback for us. Uh, coach Bone was a quarterback coach and uh, played for the Dallas Cowboys for, for some period of time. Um, was like, you could walk on and play defensive end. Von Martin was in and out of the gym in the summer times, and he's like, you're easily stronger than the guys on my team. And I was like, what? Stronger yeah. than a lot of the guys at your NFL team? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And back then when I first met him, he was at playing with the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, okay, well, how do I make this a reality? Like, clearly I need to get serious and somehow jump on this football train and maybe get a season under my belt and get enough practice and then move on. I, um, and actually, I'll, I'll get back to this football vein in a second. But the next push, Marty Robertson who used to do he was a sprint coach at the time he actually had done bobsled and how he got into it I don't remember exactly at this point but um, he's like man you'd be a freaky bobsledder like bobsledders are probably with some of the most undervalued uh, athletes out there I'm like what are you talking about he's like you have no idea how strong and how fast these guys are and I'd be like no really tell me more because this was another moment where I could maximize these two ideas right mm-hmm. I loved running I love racing against someone that feeling where you can see them and you're just mm-hmm. trying to you know whatever just to get a little faster I um so I started to really kind of think through both paths and I decided against football ultimately because I saw way too much risk for head injury and for general extremity injuries yeah. that I thought even if I made it and I, and I made a, a decent little little salary for a couple of years that what would happen to the education side of whatever i just done? Would I just be throwing my degrees away? Um, so the glory versus the reward, I kind of really thought about it. And I said, the Sochi Olympics are coming up. That would have been, so 2013, going into 2013, I was uh, already starting to think about ball flood. I'd found an uh, invitation for a try to McMaster. And then so I, Marty was helping me kind of prep for that. And then, funny thing is, during those preps, there's a bit of a second chance tryout for CFL what they were doing at uh, Western. And, like a uh, combine. Combine, yeah. And uh, and I was just kind of just 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 sprinting, and some kid stumbled onto the track. Must have been no more than like two or three years old. Um, and I was, you know, head down. And then as I came up, I saw, and I had a very quick, nimble, boom, boom, step around the kid and kept running and finished the sprint. And then some of the coaches like stopped watching their athletes, and then kind of one of them came over and was like. Hey, you move pretty good for a guy your size. You know, they started to kind of, you know, yeah. try to see if I wanted to join in and, and do the tryout. But um, yeah, all it worked out for the best. I had to lose a bunch of weight. So I lost about 40 pounds in three months. Um, was that hard for you? It was. It's. I think anything is easy when you want it. Uh-huh. Marty had a really interesting diet plan. A strategy was super <laughs> effective, but it was basically... Uh, equivalent to a gluten-free di- dairy-free diet for 7 of 8 day schedule and day 8 you eat whatever you wanted yeah. cheat day. Um, and so I mean obviously now that I'm older I'm very fond of cheat days <laughs> sometimes they're literally more than one cheat day a week and I yeah. need to rein it in but um, I was, it was very incredible how much weight I lost because I was doing way more running than I ever did before and uh, even Marty was able to pick up my flaws in my lifting but I was too Stubborn to see it still,
1: still sticking right? The, yeah, like yeah. Okay, so I could lift this surgery. way
3: 170 yeah. kilos. Why would I yeah. bother trying your way, which seems like it's
0: because you'll run faster.
3: Yeah, yeah you exactly. run. Fa- you'll you lift more. You'll run faster eventually, right? All these things. Yeah. You um, lift but the, differently yeah, yeah,
0: you recruit differently. You move differently. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. So the tryout went well with the, with the bobsled Triad at McMaster. I was outlifting a lot of the national standards. I was sprinting slow in comparison to some, to a lot of the other guys, like 3.9 second, 30 meter, um, is is nothing for for the men's bobsleigh team, but it was enough to get me out there, and then I was able to start working on the craft of pushing the sled.
2: When you say out there, you mean to Calgary? To Calgary, yes, yep. that's
3: right, that's right. So you have to, you you pay for your own way out, you pay for your way to stay there, and then you you fend for yourself as you kind of make your way through it all.
2: It's like come on over here with <laughs> us and train with us, yeah, but support yeah, yourself. Yeah, good yeah. luck. So with yeah. that first
3: week, they did like a bit of a, a bobsleigh camp for some new recruits, and by the end of that camp. Uh, Nick Polonato and I, Nick's from Hamilton and uh, is a pilot with the team, also went to the Olympics. Um, we, we started together essentially. And they paired us together and the both of us were pushing relatively close to some of the Olympians getting ready for Sochi as a, as a pair. And we're like, oh my gosh, like we're close. Maybe we got a shot. Maybe we can do this thing. And I was getting excited because maybe as a brakeman, I'd be selected to, to go and be on this team because I was allowed to train with the uh, uh, Olympic athletes. And with every training session because i came in with zero programming i was just trying i just started doing whatever program phase they were in and i did everything they were doing to the letter and trying to keep up with their specific workouts like this i'll pair myself up with this athlete and i will do every weight he does
2: which is probably the closest you came to having somebody that was in uh, comparable to what your abilities yeah. were because, sure because absolutely finally now you're with some yeah. other humans who yep. have similar abilities to you yeah.
3: and in fact it was humbling because they were even better they yeah, were even yeah. stronger and faster and that together that
2: is the spark yeah right there that's the
3: but it was enough for me to see that i belonged that it was yeah. possible and then yeah. when they did the olympic trials um, in the push testing um, i ended up coming seventh overall in the single push um, and then when they combined of course you know they put us up in pairs and, and this and that i Uh, ultimately they they didn't select me and the reason ended up being it was kind of a very funny and very I mean I can laugh now but um, I was in a situation where I had enough stuff to move out there for a week I had a friend to let me sleep on their couch and as I got to the end of the first week they said well you can stick around and try out with everyone a month from now so then I stayed for the month and then as I got to the tryout they're like all right, you're allowed to do the Olympic trials to everybody else so then I stuck around even longer so now I'm there almost two months almost three months and throughout the whole while, I'm asking, what would it take for me to actually make this? Because mm-hmm. like, I also in the background, because I was doing the dual degree, um, I applied for an exchange to Germany. And so I was seeing if I could do this bobsleigh thing just because the Olympics were around the corner, but I was still trying to figure out, am I committing to this full year of studies in Germany or not? And so me asking them what my potential in was. In physics? In was physics, the- yeah. Was me actually asking them, Am I wasting my time this year? Should mm-hmm. I just come back next year? Mm-hmm. But the usual wishy-washy, like, you they never l- know. It's yeah, the Olympics. They lure you, you never along. Know. They
2: lure you along. And then they would
3: say, like, <laughs> if you could push faster, the standard was 525. So 5.25 seconds for this relatively it's about 50-meter track uh, is the standard. So I, I did 5.23 in the individual testing, like the in in, in the week tryouts, so I'm like I could actually, you know, get there. So I go five thirteen, and that's already in the mix with some of these other guys. And then when they start re- reading reading a list out of the people that were there, I heard a bunch of people that I had uh, outperformed. And when I mm. got to the end of the list, I realized not only did I make the team, I wasn't even a spare. And I was just crushed. I didn't understand. I jumped through the hoops that they had put in front of me, and I and, and I was I was genuinely confused.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Why wouldn't you even give me a chance to prove myself throughout the opening month of the World Cup circuit to even see if I'm worth right. a spot?
2: When clearly your times show that you are.
3: Yeah, or well, at least at least that I have the potential. And here's yeah. the funny thing in in high performance sport, uh, obviously not everyone is equal, but it's deeper than that. It's everyone is <laughs> is judged on a legend about themselves. And if you are nobody coming out from some small little town, nothing, farm boy, whatever, you have zero credibility That's your to any amount of high performance, anything. And you know what really frustrated me when I was uh, obviously in that younger state? The people that I was competing against didn't know what it meant to struggle at a high level academically. When you have 60 hours of work school-wise and you have to perform on exams that are worth 60 percent of your final grade, don't you talk to me about performing pressure. under stress, yeah, under pressure. I was just going to yeah.
2: say, that, that is know, mental performance. And it's, and
3: it's for sure, it's it's always shrugged aside because they're looking at the guys that are coming from, oh, they've been sprinting with the national team, uh, famous football player. These are the people that they could come in cold, never have touched the sled before. And and these blue chips, as they call them, we call them para, paratroopers. That's what the, some it of the guys of the sliding. team are. Oh, <laughs> what's that? We pretend, we look up, and we already knew these guys were on the team. They're like, oh, look, it's... Player X from whatever football team coming in to take a spot, yeah, yeah, and they'd be given every opportunity to make mistakes and to and to get get a spot and
2: and be granted forgiveness.
3: Absolutely, instant forgiveness because they know high performance, and eventually all they need to do is just wrap their head around it, and we'll be able to get a lot of results out of them. Now, is this possible? Yes, this is possible. That's the human
2: factor, though. You know, in, in you almost think of the teacher playing favorites, yeah, and and that's that's the. I always say that numbers don't lie, they don't tell the whole story either. Mm -hmm. So those numbers that don't lie can show over and over who the best person is. You Mm -hmm. see it in multiple sports across the board, but then because of a political nature of a sport body or specific people liking specific other people or they earned their way up or they've been at it longer, then that person gets their spot, even though the numbers are showing that somebody else earned it and then that person is quite literally destroyed or discarded Mm -hmm. and that's ultimately what happens yeah absolutely over and over again you know and and that's but what for you what had you keep going because that could have destroyed even your
3: so what kept me what kept me going uh, and again I, I have to say I mean fair play is that once you do the sport, you then realize, like, how ridiculous would that have been, that you'd let anyone new to the sport just go to the Olympics. But that's another another story. Um, I was then paired with Nick for that first season. And the way I'd set it up was I'd compete with him until about February. And then I would go to Europe to get settled in and start. Because the semester started earlier. They have, like a, like, a month off in between schools. They basically roll perpetually through, through studies until they finish um, in April. So... New country, new language. I was just kind of setting my, my sights on that. But uh, but Nick and I got to compete through the North American circuit, um, and we got to, we were invited to go to the uh, to Whistler with the national team. And again, we were doing runs. I was taking runs for, for some of the athletes. That uh, bobsledding is very rough. I guess let me start talking about the sport. Bobsledding is extremely rough on the body. There's zero protection, zero suspension, or I mean, realistically, zero suspension. And ice is not as smooth as it seems when you're going over it at about 150 kilometers an hour. Hard jarring. Absolutely, and, and and you can go from from jarring. Jarring. zero to six G's in any you know three space direction in an instant, Remember and literally in a second. About
2: concussion for football? Oh yeah.
3: <laughs> now this sport has its share of concussions. And,
1: <laughs> and look it, where you ended absolutely, up.
3: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But once I started doing it, I kind of thought you know. Uh it's a relatively controlled dose of head trauma. I mean it's it's as a stupid way to look at it, but football's like a football's football's perpetual head contacts, right? Throughout a whole game.
2: It's called contra coup. Right. (laughs) And
3: and this would be like you get two or three runs a day at about a minute each. So as long as you're not crashing. Yeah, you're just like, Yeah, I had I had, you know, I had three runs today, three tomorrow, you know. Um But essentially, Nick and I were paired together, and uh, we had no spares, and we ended up being this this two-man crew and everything where I would help bring the sled up. Nick would be doing his track walk, um, and we'd be competing. When you
2: say track walk, is that a check?
3: Uh, So kind of like even in uh, motorsports, um, they'll literally walk the course, and pilots tend to go from the bottom up. And they work through the track and, and work on their notes mentally, mentally, mentally where they remember. need to be, spots and stuff like this. And the brakeman's responsibility are to make sure the sled is prepped and ready to go. So when the pilot gets up, there's just everyone time can to do drive. their warm-up. And then it's yeah. time to drive yeah. and time to push. And, and, and you're on. But because it's Olympic year, some of the smaller nations and bigger nations, depending where they were sitting in the standings, uh, would take these North American races to get points. So we ended up actually competing against a lot of the international teams. Which was amazing because then I could see firsthand, oh no, look, yeah, we'd come down dead last. We had like terrible equipment and Nick was learning and, and, you know, he barely crashed me, which is something to say with a new pilot. But me and him, we'd be crushing the starts. Mm. We'd be starting in like the top, let's call it top 10. I mean, back then was a big deal. Mm-hmm. We'd be coming dead last, but, but people would be like, wow. Something that I didn't realize, and again, this goes back to those football days, we didn't know how hard we were working. I'd be, let's say, every, practice that we pushed together I would go as hard as I could well, I didn't know any better but me and Nick would have three runs a day and there'd be no spares this old junkie sled my hips were getting black and like to the bone black and blue you know the, everything you're just getting cut and scratched yeah, and everything yeah. and 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 Nick's crashing or whatever he's getting banged but there was no one else to take our place so it would be let's say three days of sliding together maybe a day off maybe not depending on Nick was feeling And then we would race or we do two back-to-back races Mm -hmm. and then we would pack stuff up together and then we would go drive out to the next track and do it all again.
2: It's a grind.
3: Whereas a World Cup team would say one brakeman would be with the the pilot day one, another brakeman with the pilot day two, and another one day three. And so everyone had one day of dose or maybe two days at most. Yeah. And plus you have therapy, plus you have yeah. whatever, you and career. so Nick and I are lifting, like like working out, and then we're taking all these runs, and we're trying mm-hmm. to constantly have this high level of execution every race because I foolishly thought maybe I could convince them by yeah. these starts that I deserve to be on that team, yeah. even as a spare, as right. the season went on. So I was literally kept in this this Do you think maybe they position. That? Uh, I I mean for sure I think then uh it, it, it's to their advantage to keep you in the program mm-hmm. because the funny thing is the ultimate goal is to get the pilot ready for the next series when the other ones are done yeah.
1: mm-hmm. pilots are
3: hard to train it's like an eight-year investment
1: mm-hmm.
3: Breakmen, you so come yeah. get broken not broken
1: yeah. you
3: know what i mean like it doesn't really matter and they, they sold it as like yeah you need this experience you need to put your time in right this mm-hmm. this whole time in well, what a farce when I watched guys parachute in, no mm-hmm. time in at all, yeah. being treated like the princes they weren't.
1: Yeah.
3: And um, so in many ways it was good, it was necessary, but it was more of like a revenge-based progression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll so the yeah. funniest thing is when I was trying to get into the mix with the uh, Olympic guys, I came off with, with all the young fervor of being a freshly graduated engineering student. I was trying to help with their tuning and the mechanic side of it, and, and maybe this led this and, and the runner. Experience. We can treat them with these processes, and we can, you know, no one liked it, and it wasn't. I didn't read the crowd.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. In
3: fact, I was being marked as this know-it-all, arrogant shit that doesn't belong here. Mm. So I didn't even know, but I had a lot of people already against me before I even really got a fair shake. And then the next thing that kind of worked against me is. Because I was competing in the uh, North America's Cup circuit with other international athletes, the Australian bobsled team actually took me under their wing right from the get-go, even throughout training and stuff to help with running. And, and actually, one of the Jamaicans, Marvin Dixon, also helped out. There was a lot of people that were very supportive at the beginning that weren't the Canadians. Um, <laughs> uh, but fair play for the Canadians. Christopher Spring was the most welcoming uh, teammate I ever had and was my first World Cup pilot. And that man is... Uh, that was
0: 2014-15, you started with him?
3: With him, that's right. That's right. That's right. He was a wonderful, he's wonderful, wonderful human on. being. Um, the Polish team had a guy that got injured leading up to Christmas on their four-man team, and they needed another athlete. Well, I have dual citizenship. The Australians knew that. They're at this whatever race where they're having this team captain's meeting, and, and, and uh, D- David Kupczyk at the time said, here's the situation. And the Australians, uh, Heath Spence kind of gets up and he goes, uh, you know, I, know, I know a bloke who, uh, who, who pushes strong as a horse. And uh, he's, grandfather got his, a horse. he's got his he's got his grandfather's <laughs> <a> heirlooms, <horse>. and <laughs> a legend. exactly, and 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 he's got a passport to boot. He'd be actually allowed to do this. And then so once I got the invitation from the Polish team, I thought, oh, oh yeah, my yes, god, like chance. not only to go, but yeah. my parents and, and family, everyone would be so proud. Yeah. I'm gonna be, uh, you know, Presenting. yeah,
1: <laughs> that's
3: right. right. You know, in many ways, I, I, it's kind of like when I was younger. It's like, what am I? Oh, I'm a Polish Canadian. Yeah. when i'm abroad yeah. i'm canadian when i'm in canada it's obvious i'm canadian so i say i'm polish yeah
1: and yeah.
3: that's the way you identify yeah. so having this opportunity to compete for poland was was just huge um the papers were so-called put forward to to make it okay from canada's side and i thought it was a win-win for everybody because i would get olympic level experience get to represent with another country oh yeah do you know how much people hated that And called me a traitor behind my back oh, but From the Olympics team the Olymp- Like from the Canadian guys I was a traitor I was a guy who wanted to go to the Olympics no matter what Now that I've done it Hello everyone is doing anything they can to go and athletes, even in their own team, the kind of crap people are doing in the politics and the negotiating on the sides, the, the chat groups or whatever, everyone's doing whatever they can. How dare people judge anyone for yeah. trying to get in? I understand yeah. it's frustrating when you see someone trying to take a shortcut. But if a person has a chance, what do you, you to do? You think you wouldn't have taken that chance? Yeah. Does anyone really think they'll be like, well, no, I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to go through every step. People skip steps all the time and they pretend like they don't. Yeah. And I hated seeing that. And I recognize it now looking back.
0: Knowing that you're told one thing absolutely, about a five, two, five standard, yep. yeah, yeah, you blow that away, yeah, and yet it's meaningless, yep. yeah. Why are you not looking out your, for yourself at that point? Yeah, you have to You'd be crazy, to yeah. yeah, but, no but then
3: you're being told to your face that what you're doing is wrong, selfish, you're, 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 you're in it for yourself, it's not about the, it's all about the country, the Olympic dream. The you, they throw in all this patriotic crap at you, and then when you really look at when you really break it down. In general, I mean, like, at, at this point, again, call it from, from from negative experiences, I'd say a lot of athletes are, are inherently selfish, you know? I really haven't met a lot that are truly in it for the greater good. Yeah. Ultimately, it's like my performance, but my gains, my training. They
1: learn to be because
2: that's the only way they survive. Absolutely. The o- if they don't take yeah. care of themselves. Yeah. But that's also why, you know, in, in doing this podcast, it's also why we find that so many athletes feel so alone. Even if they're in a, a group, even if they're in a the team sport, even if yep. they've been in sport around other athletes their whole life or having mentors, they still feel so alone Yep. because of what they're enduring in all of these different situations and feeling like they're going to either get cut or booted or injured at any given absolutely, time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's, it's that struggle along the way and here it's just, it, for you, it's more obvious because... You know, you're, you're being,
3: now you're being treated like a traitor. Yeah. So. Yeah. So ultimately it didn't work out because the, the governing body of the sport itself, the international body, um, said that, you know, I didn't, uh, didn't do the paperwork correctly the year before going into it, which is a bit of a ridiculous scenario well, because I, I was never you know, in the sport before.
1: Year,
3: yeah. Are, That's right. Same, same for all. Same for everyone. Yeah. But imagine you didn't play volleyball until you sure. knew you could play volleyball. And all of a sudden you have a chance... This is all, everything was such an extraordinary circumstance that I couldn't believe that just out of the sake, there was a need being fulfilled by one and a want from the other. Mm -hmm. And they shut it down because it didn't fit the rule book exactly. So, Mm -hmm. and it's like, well, that didn't make any sense at all. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, so that ended up shutting that down and and, and you go through your mourning process and and whatever. Um, But in the scope of athletes that have been screwed over, I'd say that like on my side, when at the time I was, you know, it was the worst thing ever. But I've, I've literally witnessed worse things happen to athletes. And so I can take that with a grain of salt and go, you know what, it could have been much worse. At the very least, I at least established that I was a potential up-and-coming athlete because I had the international body's respect because they'd seen how I was hustling. I didn't know how hard I was hustling, but that I was hustling and I was still friendly. And and I came from such an idea of um, this ignorance to the selfish mindset that you needed. You know, Marty had told me, he's like, Alex, once you get out there, you got to be a lion. There are no friends in bobsled. And, I, and I'm like no that can't be true the because i like i like yeah. making friends mm-hmm. i like working in groups and i work well like that and i like mm-hmm. i like bringing more to the table to the team right and but having that kind of
2: understand, fill because we understand that we can be greater than the sum of our parts Yep. because that's that's how things work best by collaborating with other people and if we don't collaborate with other people or other countries then we only get as good as we can be unless we collaborate with either other individuals or other countries or or learn more that we could have learned ourselves. Absolutely. But but then you get that shot down so many times that you know it's you're in survival mode. Totally. You are not in the higher good or Mm -hmm. you know, the greater good, the higher self, the whatever mode in being able to accomplish more. You're in survival mode if I want to stay in this in any form or another, I have to protect myself. Absolutely. So it it's you know, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough road to yeah. navigate yeah. when you don't know exactly what to do.
3: Now imagine being used to asking questions, and maybe you ran into this or not.
2: <laughs> curiosity?
3: <laughs> yeah. Imagine having the curiosity of a student and being looked down on for asking too many questions.
2: When it's supported yeah. in your other environment of school. It's important to learn more understand more yeah, yeah. so yeah. from
3: like the 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 strength coach at the time it was like there was never enough time to answer my questions cuz everyone else had you know there was a priorities the athletes that were there you know um oh you'll figure it out oh you'll, oh sorry I missed that rep I'll catch the next one you know stuff like that where i was just Totally ignored, effectively. You know, like I was allowed to train with everyone, and I had to rely on the athletes around me. And I pestered everyone because I didn't want to waste time. And again, I wanted to improve things. Mm -hmm. How did you do that? How is this working? Or, or ask some of the best at the time. Yeah, like what are some things you did throughout your career that helped you be better? Mm -hmm. And then be literally lied to. Yeah,
2: because you wouldn't want you to get ahead.
3: (laughs) But again, like I was so naive. I couldn't i couldn't even fathom it was possible until people started you know again you start learning about people the longer you're around and i i listened and watched all the time and you started hearing and being like wait they why would they do died. that yeah. why would they why would they go to their way to do something like this and they're like well you know maybe they really believed it they think they follow the rules blah, blah, blah. you know whatever this there's, there's some there's some narrative to be fit there but then um, I, I start my first summer semester because i get until I, I february got in um That was another kick in the teeth, because the Ontario baden wurttemberg program, they kind of set it up so that you're in universities that you can do the courses relatively, I mean, English, right? That's the point. Mm -hmm. But specifically looking for physics, I was one of two people that were trying to find schools to do physics in. I ended up getting paired with uh, Karlsruhe Institute of Technology. And not only was it all in German, but they were effectively a school for experimental or theoretical physics. And so it was high level, right from go, doing particle physics courses my first semester, which I haven't even touched in school. That would be something you touch either in your fourth year slash master's or PhD. And like I said, it was in German. And so I was struggling. Like I was stressed to the max from so many different angles. And then I'm trying to train for the team following the program overseas and trying to send video feedback on my running and stuff and getting responses a week to two weeks later.
2: Yeah, that
3: doesn't work. Nothing was working. So I came back same physical performance when it came to uh, push testing. A little weaker, a little slower on the other numbers. Yeah. So, it, it was a waste of a summer. I was so frustrated. Yeah. So the next thing I started doing is going went, okay, well, okay, I've had that's enough. There's a
2: time where and I've seen this over and over where they look at those test results and then that's a the time to go and use the test results even though they didn't get used when they performed.
3: Totally, totally. And
2: I've, seen it. I've, oh, yeah. I've been on the side with
3: yeah. Witnessing them do witnessing, this. Witnessing them yeah. use <laughs> yeah. the information for
2: yeah. their reasoning. Absolutely. So it, it's yeah. it's tough. And then yeah. seeing the improvements, but then they're not going to
1: select that, yeah. whatever, player, That's right. or whatever it That's is. Right.
2: And so even though their improvements are
1: there, yeah. it's it it's a tough thing
3: to... Yeah. So that season was 2014-2015. Chris gives me my first chance to be on a World Cup team. My friends, Nick, uh, and other friends that I made on the way, Joey and, and Tim, um, the the three of them were training together in Hamilton, and they came back, and they were, like, much better, and they're like, Alex, what happened? Like, you're weaker than I remember you last year. Like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm trying to do this, and they're like, man, this program is dust. You can't do this. You need to do your own thing. It's not enough volume. It's not enough of this. It's for the guys that are already at their max, and they just need a little little tune up right. and they're great You're you need this base built and then yes. i started going oh my god like first like already it's too late i'm a, a year behind as far as i see it right so i'm starting to look reach i know I, I had to split up my year exchange into two semesters again i'm trying to finish school right so for the second semester i'm going to be in germany again and i started reaching out to other teams uh, internationally i'm um, chatting the germans kind of train with one of your coaches the Austrians. Um, in the States, uh, Altus with um, uh, Andre de Grasse's former coach, um, everywhere. And getting getting feedback, getting responses, getting people saying like, hey, you know, you got a you natural knack to pushing and stuff like this. And, and having other coaches and other teams tell me this, it was just clear that I needed to find someone that gave a shit. Mm-hmm. So that's right. And so yeah. going into the end of that World Cup season, Chris had a frustrating year as the Olympics. He was robbed of his opportunity to really really put some something together. Um, so he had a chip on a shoulder to prove, but he didn't have the guys he had the leftovers another pilot was given You know the, the better pick Chris had what he had and Going to that world championships was, was a really amazing experience because I had pneumonia at some point and I was helping out some of the other teammates um, We were all kind of a bit of a ragtag dirty dozen situation um, We all came from these humble beginnings with the development circuit some of us and some of them were you know Olympians and and there was a very big gap between who's going to do how much physical work and not the development athletes were like, we're just going to just do it. It has to get done. So we're doing it. And the same you mm. guys are like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this or they'd be complaining the But yeah. yeah. And so we, in many ways, um, <laughs> it's like Les Miserables, you know, can you hear the people sing, singing right. the song? We had like this, we had like a group form that was definitely against this old culture of like, you don't deserve to be here kind of thing. Yeah. So. Anyways, in that, in that vein, um, we ended up taking care of each other a lot. And uh, a friend of mine, DJ, came on to the team at some point because he needed an extra extra body for one of the teams. He developed pneumonia at some point during the season, right, at some point. So he'd been sick for, for weeks, and no one really did anything to really diagnose it properly. I end up taking him. We're at World Championships, so it's like a two-week period. And I'm driving this guy on my own because none of the coaches had the time or interest, I don't know which at this point, but didn't have the time as, was the, to get him to the hospital. So I drive him to the hospital, and I stay with him up, whatever, as long as it took. It was some time well into the morning that we're, we're at this place getting his chest x-rayed and stuff, and I'm the one trying to do the translations to get him through this. And so it turns out he has pneumonia, they give him antibiotics, He's feeling better, great. I start developing it. And again, it could have come from him, could have come from... It just gets yeah, passed around, gets, close goes, proximity, yeah. the way it goes. Uh, and then DJ helps me and drives me. And I get something to try to kind of push it through. But we're getting close to the to the races. And, and having pneumonia, I hope no one's ever had it. But if you have had it, the fever is crippling, right? Mm-hmm. And then breathing hurts. But breathing ice-cold air oh. knives. Yeah. And yeah. you're trying to sprint as hard as you can, right? So you're already feeling like you're like... Uh, I don't know what's happening, and then, and then it's like, all right, get it together. You have a race at the end of the week. I wasn't allowed to sub out because there was they're like no one else is going to be it. You have to compete. Okay. So, I was motivated to give Chris the best performance I could give, and this was a huge moment in my athletic career because I was not doing it for myself. I was doing it for Chris. Chris had treated me very well. I had so much love for him that I'm like I'm going to give you everything I've got. We ended up having a top three start and we finished eighth. And wow. that to me was just mind blowing because we beat the Canada One crew at the start handedly. And this was four man. This was a four man race, okay. yeah. I was given a two man opportunity uh, for the team event. They're like, they just threw someone in, and that's when actually me and Cripps went together for the first time. I we met Winterberg. And uh, it was actually it was a formidable start. And that's where people started going, well, he's got the size and he's pretty good on his own and he's good in four man. Maybe this guy's our future two man you know, specialist or whatever they want to call it. And that's where I kind of really had everything else kind of developed. But at the end of that, things were apparent. I needed to find my own coach. I needed to find my own therapist. I needed to find my own nutrition. I had to have everything maximized. If I was going to go for this, I was going to go for this. Um, and then that was, that first year was the catalyst for the rest of it.
2: Do you think that, you know, that there's so many issues is just generally how i can sum it up but is that where do you think that's from do you think that's from a certain type of culture within uh, canadian bobsled do you think that that is coming from a lack of funding do you think it's a number of different things like what why what do you think are some of the main contributors because mm-hmm. you've experienced other national Sport, yeah, and you can you can see as you start to go internationally, you can see ones that function better. It's like for Paul playing with multiple different professional clubs; he's experienced a lot of different pro teams, yeah. and he could experience and the cl- he could clearly tell the difference between the ones who were functioning really well, mm-hmm. really worked in a way that served the athletes and the outcomes. What was missing in your experience?
3: Well, I think one of the hardest things is. Um, I'm going to term it very broadly, but just this perpetual cycle of abuse where you're getting athletes that were from a broken system carrying you on in leadership roles, perpetuating a broken system.
2: This is how it was for me, therefore I'm going to make it like that exactly. for because you, you're new and committed. And
3: one of the biggest things that, again, when I told you that, that pushback when I was young and eager and trying to help and throwing, you know, trying to throw science into the into the spokes of their process. Like, 100%. they've done stuff for 10 years, 20 years. Who are you to tell us how yeah, to do you're, this? You're yeah. I find that
0: really hard to understand. Yeah. In an event that's decided by hundreds of seconds. Totally.
3: And, and, and there were right waves. On. There were waves where there was this 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 excellence about it, but it was always controlled by a third party. Or so one great example is Pierre Luters had this book. Uh, and he became very uh, disenfranchised with uh, the Canadian program and ended up leaving. But he had this book of like I can't remember how long he competed. Let's say twenty years worth of like his notes and stuff. Track so notes. he had a he had an idea of what track required what type of runner. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he did his aerodynamics and stuff Which like was this. Only
2: that much experience,
3: but he be- left with it. Gone. gone now we're at zero again as far as like know-how does anyone remember anecdotally what he did maybe we try and we're starting again from zero mm-hmm. there was no documentation like the pilots had their own documentation but there's no general documentation as to what what happened it's what real, ice condition what this you know a library where you can just reference it yourself where anyone should be able to look at it to catch up okay. i propose doing like a, a breakman manual or a bobsledder manual where you can just go page one is how to set a sled up page three are the y runners and These are the things that happened the year after the Olympics. Now people are trying to get everyone on the same page. Mm -hmm. But again, it's not because Alex talked about it. It's because this new person's talking about it. And these are the things that make a person angry because you're you're kicking and screaming and saying, guys, we can do things differently. We can do things better. Nah, because it's coming from you. Nah, no thanks. You're the know-it-all guy. That's just whatever. I did my own Google search. Apparently that's not real. Great. Sweet. You guys just keep doing what you're doing then. Yeah. Um, and then there's the funding. So I'll focus back on that. It's the funding. It's You have this mafia game where certain people are trying to keep their jobs. And their jobs are dependent on the team's results. But it's not like they're, 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 their salaries are not motivated by the team's results. Their salaries yeah. are secure. They either keep their job or they don't. But that is rel- relative no to yeah, that's relative to how they are with the COC or they are with On The Podium or they are with Sport Canada. Yeah. So those that's relationships, safe. That's safe then. exactly, so not and, it's and, you, and it's absolutely, and it's always it's the so athlete's perfect. fault. It's, your it's, your fault. Right. it's always the athlete's fault. They didn't do enough, they, didn't, they are underperformed, they didn't sleep enough when they should have, they, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And you live in this constant fear of like, well, well who got the On The Podium funding? Well, I heard it was this guy, this guy, and this guy. Yeah. Oh. And then you Why? see it. And then you see them being taken care of better. We had at one point a tier system, tier one, tier two, tier three. Yeah. If you didn't run a certain standard, it didn't matter. Like, I was in a situation where I was the fastest brakeman or one of, like, let's say, top three at the time. This was in the second year. Top three brakeman. And I was a tier two athlete, which means I didn't get all of the therapy mm-hmm. or if I did I had to pay for some of it or whatever
2: exactly
3: exactly and that was because There's of it uh, we're using we're using a metric that's not necessarily indicative of a good push athlete. I was the outlier. Mm-hmm. big slow lumbering thrower you know it turned out I could run real fast by the time I finished you in know, the Olympic season I was running 3.65 30 meters with a flying 30 of 2.9 seconds which is fast for a lot of people. But I had the most power output per step. Mm-hmm. And this is something that they couldn't come to terms with. This is a sport about power output as opposed to your frequency. Yeah, you, can, yeah. you can peck away at that ice all you want with 100,000 contacts. It's the area under the curve. Yeah. You have your force and time. If you could measure that, you would right off the bat, these three, four athletes would be our best athletes. No questions asked.
2: Measure a lot of that at University of Calgary. Mm-hmm.
1: Are they accessing that, or are they utilizing it? Well,
3: there's there's a lot of things that may or may not be utilized. They tried to use force plates just for jumps, just to get an the idea of like performance stuff. You know, like no, for sure. But Did I mean, mean as far as you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we just yeah force. yeah. So I mean, as far as like the the actual like partnership with University of Calgary and ourselves, I mean, I I didn't notice any of it. I didn't see any of it. I tried to get involved it's to help push it forward. Space. So the coach ended up meeting Olaf Humpel. He studied at the University of Cologne, uh, and he was a, an athlete during the Cold War era. He was from the West. He had teammates from the East. Um, his wife was from the East. And um, at the University of Cologne, they have literally like a 100-meter track force plates. Mm-hmm. So you could see How much it's like, like literally a three-dimensional component of you have some – Going in front of you, some going backwards. I'm not going to talk in terms of axes. I'll just say, you have a forward breaking force that's measurable. You have a driving force going directly backwards, and a force going directly down into you and a normal force fighting against it. Mm -hmm. They could then go. Clearly, there will be a technique where you can reduce the forward component of the force of your step and where you're hitting. So then they go. Well, clearly, we must strike the ground behind the center of mass, Mm -hmm. and on and on and on. You can literally peck away. Exactly. You can get to a point where you can say that clearly we can find a mathematical optimal way to run. And based, that should be based on non-negotiable. Exactly. But now that's the funny thing where, uh, you know, where you know, my biomechanics are different than yours. What does that statement mean? So let's break it apart. Okay. Fair. Right. Weight. We have the actual athletic abilities. Distribution of weight. But can anyone truly say that the ideal is different for anyone? The ideal is absolute. We will deviate from that ideal based on our given lever lengths. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that you have different biomechanics? No, you're still a human being that has to move in the same general way as any other human being. Mm -hmm. It's trying to maximize that and approach the ideal however you can. So considering in many sports, especially in ours, there is no ideal set. The ideal is based on the guys that have been the fastest. And they were the fastest because they had these physical attributes.
2: I was just going to say, the sport itself has already narrowed that down to a lot of common elements. Yeah. You know, it's, it's already the only people who are there mm-hmm. already have been narrowed down to this yeah. body type, these rough lever lengths, these type of distributions. And Absolutely. Yeah.
3: But I mean, just as a quick example off my head, that's, that's a- analogous to, say, you have a metal dartboard, so you can hear it when the dart makes a contact. That's like saying I'm staring or closing my eyes and throwing darts in this general direction. And I find that if I throw darts, this position in my hand with this kind of a motion, I hit the board more often than using any other technique. Well, you've totally missed the purpose of I'm aiming at a dartboard. And if I used other methods to aim at this dartboard, I would find that I could hit the dartboard the most amount of times out of any other way to approach it. And so if you're saying that the fastest athletes have these attributes, they were sprinters, they could do this 30-meter sprint or this 60-meter sprint or this 100-meter time or this broad jump or this overall package of metrics, you're not looking at what is the problem. The underlying problem is how to push this sled maximally, how to achieve this power output it's the yeah. it's the underlying root of what the problem is. How you approach that? That's irrelevant. How can the athlete apply the maximum power output that area into that curve? Is it through contacts? Maybe this athlete has to peck away at the ice 100,000 times. Yeah,
2: somebody's turnover is going to be more
3: than the next Maybe time. someone slower but stronger gonna have more can speed. can yeah. can can have that same output over that period of time. Yeah. So Enter in the, the the biggest the biggest problem when someone tries to identify why is this athlete better than the other. You have the superstition. They want it more. They yell more. They slap their hands or they look like they're pushing really hard. And here's yeah, another funny part. I'll just I'll, fun. just I'll just I'll just touch past. it quick and move yeah. past it. But when you're going downhill, you're basically approaching acceleration due to gravity. Now it's not exactly it's not a vertical drop. You have like some 15 degree declination. But the point is a human being accelerates at the fastest in the world, fastest ever recorded between three meters per second squared and four meters per second squared gravity. I'll just round it up 10 meters per second squared. A human being cannot accelerate faster than gravity, gravity. period. Yeah. So once you start going downhill, why would you think that you would be able to keep pushing that handle? Cause the sled's now reaching 60 kilometers an hour. Mm-hmm. And as we reach, a constant velocity because we cannot accelerate it anymore that means there is no push to be had no. so if it looks like I'm pushing how is it that you actually think that I'm applying any useful force down the hill yeah. that's nonsense yeah. the question then goes how do I keep up with the sled
1: Right.
3: so the way so I ended know, up running I, I had <laughs> I the way I ended up running my coach said Alex once you get up you have to be as tall as you can and I would end up having this position where it looked like my arms were loose, my hips were free, and I was and spinning. They like and they're like, Alex, you need to be pushing down on the sled. You are not adding to as much as your teammates are.
2: Your job is to push at the start, not when it's too Yeah, but it's
3: but it, but it, but it's deeper to the point where you can't keep pushing. Yeah. If you feel like you're pushing, you are simulating that through your hands, and you might be slowing it down with your, you know what I mean. It doesn't yeah. matter, right? Okay. Like there's some yeah. other things, but again you have this false analysis because you don't actually understand the physics of the situation and that I found very frustrating with coaching situations, with doctor situations, with people use the terminology and they don't understand the words they're saying. And you're like, how can you get to a point where you through the academic road, you learn very quickly. If you're going to say something on a topic, you better know it cold or you will be labeled a moron. Like, there's no way around it. People answering questions in the class, I stopped answering questions for fear of saying something wrong and being laughed at. Yeah. Like.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a completely different culture because then you're supposed to adopt something based on someone else's belief instead of something that's well-founded in whatever, either academia or science. Yeah, science. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hey everyone, that's where we will cut the episode for today and pick up this conversation again next week with Alex Kopach from the Canadian Olympic Bobsleigh team where he will share his path right up to Pyeongchang and the incredible events that unfolded there at the Olympic Games for him and the team. We want to thank you for listening. And remember, check the show notes for our 12.30 challenge. June is going to be a big month, 30 days of cleaning up our lives, a purge, of cutting back on things and making actions every day to remove the clutter from our lives and live a less materialistic life as well. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week for part two of Alex Kopech.